Uh, good morning. We will continue our study of the book of Hebrews with the encouragement uh, that it brings us to per- persevere in our walk with Christ uh, and to look to him. So if you would, please turn your attention to chapter 7. We come to verses 20 <clears throat> and 28. <clears throat> And it was not without an oath, for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it is indeed fitting that we should have such a great high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for their own sins, and then for those of the sins of the peoples. Since he did this once for all, when he offered up himself, For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priest, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect. This is God's uh, holy and inerrant word. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for your word, that in your word is life, it's a two-edged sword, It's living, it's breathing to those who have ears to hear and eyes to see. So Lord, we pray that even as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, that you would give us spiritual knowledge, not just intellectual knowledge, so that we might behold how wonderful Jesus is and surrender our lives to him and continue to do so in this life until we meet him face to face. And we ask it in your name and for your sake. Amen. Yeah, so the first car that I bought, um, I paid for with my own hard-earned money. Uh, I worked several summers. I don't know, I was probably making $2 an hour back then. Saved $1,100 to buy a 1969 VW hatchback. Uh, there was a sweet little lady that sold me the car. I said, have you ever had any problem with the car? No. And, uh, and so, of course, she had a picture of Jesus on the wall. And I was a new Christian, so that was good enough for me. So I was all excited about it. Here I am. I'm driving in a car that I purchased as an 18-year-old. <clears throat> so the first piece of, person I want to pick up in my car was my future wife, Mary Beth. I just started dating her. And so I thought I'd wheel around to her house and she could find out what a great provider I would be. 
if she uh, got interested enough. And uh, so I picked her up, and y'all that know Mary Beth, she's always smiling, and she was sweet. And so we're riding down the road. We're not a half mile down the road. This huge thunder shower hits. And uh, no problem. I just turn on my, you know, windshield wipers. And about <clears throat> one minute into it, <clears throat> it's pouring down rain. Mary Beth's windshield wiper falls out into the road. And, uh, and she said, well, at least yours didn't. And as soon as she said that, sure enough, it just stopped. The, the, the windows fog up. Uh, and so you remember back then you had a little vent you could pull out for you old people? And so I pulled the vent to unfog it, and about 10 gallons of water just drops out in our lap. And, of course, I learned later that the 1969 Volkswagen Squareback is probably the worst car that has ever been made. But there's a bigger point here than, um, than just the fact that the lady wasn't honest with me. That, that's not the point. The point is I had to buy a car because I need to go to school. I need to go to work. Without my car, I could, I could not... Well, I couldn't pick up Mary Beth, take her to the movies. Well, <clears throat> I had to eat my pride, and I went to my dad because I was broke, and the bank was not going to give me a loan on a car with no assets. <clears throat> but the banker knew my dad. My dad was a responsible businessman, and so what my father did was he went on my note. Um, and so when he signed that note, uh, he was willing to incur all my debt. And the bank was completely satisfied. Didn't care about me, didn't care about my personality or my credit. All he knew was that my father, who he had been banking, or my dad had banked with for 30 years, would pay off if I didn't pay the debt. Now I'll tell you this, I did pay that car off. My dad didn't have to. But there was no way for me to have purchased that car apart from a guarantor. And that's exactly what our text is about. We're broke spiritually. The scripture says that there is no good thing in us. That by works of the law, no man will be justified. In fact, it teaches us that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And notice what he says in verse 22. So this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. He is the surety for our debts that cannot be covered. Now what the writer of Hebrews has been trying to do is give the people who are thinking about moving away and going back to a works righteousness uh, covenant, a covenant that at best was ceremonial that could not do away with their sin and move away from this covenant of grace that we talk about every Sunday when we do the communion. We say, this is the new covenant. In fact, often I will tell you when I serve you communion, this is a new and better covenant because Christ is our guarantor. Now, I will say this. If you don't understand your need for somebody to pay your debt, this text will mean nothing. Hebrews means nothing. 
It's just a lot of religious talk about mediators. But on the other hand, if you do and you're resting in what Christ has done and you begin to understand, not just intellectually, but by faith, you're moving into this reality that you are in Christ. 147 times that term is used in the New Testament that you're in him, you're good. He has signed the note and he has paid the note. Then here's what I believe. I believe this. It should make us an utterly joyful people. A loving people. A forgiving people. A humble people. Now, let, let me ask you, is that, is that really, is that what people see in our lives? Is that, can you say, man, out of my heart is this sense, I just, you know, I mean, I know I'm not what I ought to be. And that can be discouraging, right? But I know who I am. I know whose I am. And, and, you, and you begin to believe this, these promises of God. And so it, it enters into you and it enters out into other people. You, you can't be forgiven unless you know that you're already forgiven. I'm just telling you. The gospel seeks to deal with not the external behaviors. But it seeks to deal with the heart the internal things. And the way he does that is by showing you his love. So I mean, it's the only way I know. Now, if that's not the case, then the writer says, draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for his people. Now, uh, I just have two points uh, because we have, to, um, we have to end on time. And then I want to make application. And the first point is this. There is this promise of a greater priest than those provided under the old covenant. You guys are wanting to go back. And it brings no life. How many things do you want to go back to to bring life to you? Things that you want to go to to bring you life. Life is only in Christ and moving toward Christ and eternally with Christ. But notice what he says. And it was not without an oath, verse 20, for those who formerly became priests were made such, notice what it says, without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. And this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. Well, I don't have time to kind of do all the exegesis of all that this means, but he's comparing Jesus uh, with the other high priest. And what he does say about the high priest who were good in, in that they were pointing to the need for a coming Christ, no oath was made with them. God set aside Aaron and his descendants by birth to carry out the responsibility of Mediating for the people of God. But no oath. You know, I often, I often think of, of um, 
sometimes maybe how, how in, in churches we, we ordain ministers and, and we set things up. Um, and things are technically done right. Things are done, but there seems to be no life in it because it's an office rather than a calling. It's something we do rather than something as an elder or a deacon or, or a pastor that you're called to set forth these promises that are in Christ. And so that's what he's saying is if you go back, you're going back to those who did not receive an oath, but it was just by birth. It was by heritage. But not so, he says, with Jesus. He turns to Psalm 104, and he speaks of a better priesthood, a better mediator, one who will be a priest forever. The Lord has sworn, and he will not change his mind. If you've been around Redeemer for a while, have you noticed how many times he's squeezing the life out of Psalm 104? This is a psalm that, that... a thousand years after the, the story of Melchizedek in the Old Testament, that David prophetically speaks of one to come after the order of Melchizedek, after the law. He is the one who would come through promise. And that's what the psalmist says. And God has made a promise, and he cannot break that oath. Well, again, what is the context? God had made a promise earlier to Abraham. I mean, to, yes, to Abraham. He's pointing to these Jews who are wanting to move away from faith in Christ back into some war, works. In chapter 6, he says, Abraham was justified by faith. Abraham looked to God by faith. He believed the promises of God. And because he did, he saw the faithfulness of God and all the blessings that came. But what he is saying here is the, the promises made to the one by whom the promise and the blessings would come, the means upon which they would come. And that is through the, the person and work of Jesus Christ. And God makes that promise to you this morning that you can live in the presence of God now, you're in a fellowship with him now. You can sin and confess your sin You're in Christ, and you will be forever because of what is promised here in our text. Now, before I move on to the second point, let me just say this. Promises are everything. Society is built on uh, on, on promises. Our relationships are built on promises. And I think throughout life, we begin to discover people and institutions that we can count on and can't count on. For a person to say, my bond is my word, and you find that person who is consistent, and you know that you can count on them. If they tell you they will do something, they will do it. That's what a marriage should be about. We made promises to love one another, to forgive one another. But you see, those promises kept 
are indicative of the heart of the person who makes that promise. The person who will make a promise and keep their oath even when it hurts. Psalm 15. You keep your vow even when it hurts. Well, you see, that's exactly who God is in Jesus Christ. God makes a promise. He has to keep their promise. You see, because the best of us break our promises. But he is unable to break that promise because of who he is, his character, God's essence is to make you this promise this morning as you think about the advent that Jesus Christ is a mediator of a better covenant. You're saved by grace. You're saved by Christ. So there's his great promises, but the other contrast that he gives is the permanence of this greater priest. So promises are made. But this priest lasts forever. Do you know Jesus Christ was raised from the dead? He ascended into heaven. He's enthroned. And we're going to see the practical application of that in just a minute. But that's what our text says. And that's what he says. If you read with me in verse 23. The former priests were many in number. Because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Now, folks, unlike, I think, modern culture, ancient culture, and particularly the Jews, understood the seriousness of the law. They were the people whom God revealed himself to and they saw his glory on Mount Sinai. But they were also told, you cannot touch this mountain lest you die. And we said this many times, but if Adam and Eve are already dead and we died in them and we sinned in Adam and Eve, why does God give 10 more commandments? God gives 10 more commandments so that you might get a sense of how messed up things are in your life. But of course, Jesus kind of boils it all down to, well, you know what? You want to keep the commandments? Uh, it boils down to loving God, loving people. You ever struggle with loving God? You ever struggle with that? How can God be doing this to me? How's this happening to me? Or life is good. I don't need God. Or have you ever struggled with loving other people? And so... God has given us his law, the whole Old Testament history, ladies and gentlemen, thousands of years to drive home this point that we need a mediator. And what did they see? Well, God gave them mediators. He gave them priests. But they're not sufficient because what they would see in these priests is their own need to atone for themselves. I mean, seriously, if if you're going to look to a preacher or somebody else as the absolute standard upon which you're going to either believe or not believe, or or if right now you've decided that you don't believe in Christianity because that little sweet lady had pictures of Jesus on the wall, right? And uh, and say, well, I'm not going to believe in Christianity because of uh, a preacher or somebody else. But these priests are flawed, but not only are they flawed, they died, and they died, and they died, and they died. They would be gathered in, there goes another priest. And so there was an 
an insecurity about whether they really are okay. But not Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus Christ continues forever. Because 2,000 years ago, he was raised from the dead. He buried our sins. So he's forever. Now, there, there, there are two things before I make my application to see about this. Because there's a lot of confusion when it talks about how Christ ever intercedes for you. A lot of people think, well, Jesus is up there going, okay, Father, please forgive them again. And, and God doesn't really want to do that, but he kind of has to because Jesus is interceding for you. And, and it's like, well, I did that again this week. Uh, oh, Father, okay, listen, I plead my blood. No, 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 no. There's two things that we deal with. One is our real guilt. And Christ has dealt with that guilt. It is over with. That sense of interceding is gone. And you say, well, how do you know that? Well, notice what he says in verse 26. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. Let me say this. If you are in Jesus Christ and you've been born again of the Spirit, that means all your sins are buried. They're all gone. They've been paid for. Because he said it's finished. What is the sign that they're finished? He was raised from the dead. Somebody bore our sins. It was Christ. That work is accomplished. And until you understand that, you can't appreciate the work of the high priest that deals with the second issue And that is because we have remaining corruption, we still feel weak. You feel weak? But I can tell you, you know, I look back on my life and I think, wow, you know what? Maybe if I had done this or done that or done this and that and the other, you ever think that way? Maybe if I hadn't done, made that business decision, whatever it may be. And we feel weak. But you see, what this is saying is far be it that Jesus is interceding and going, Uh, uh, Father, don't, you know, I've already paid for the sin, da-da-da-da. He's saying, okay, Father, I want you to bless these people. you believe that? That by faith, you say, hey, humbly, Jesus, I come to you the way I had to go to my dad because I was broke to say, hey, Dad, would you sign the note with me? And he does. Well, what is, the, what is the application? What is the application of this? Well, of course, draw near to God. But verse 28 says this. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath which came later than the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Let, let, me, let me put it this way uh, as I conclude. Let's go back to the bank thing. Let's just say that uh, the illustration I gave my dad. Let's just say, okay, so went on the note, paid for the car off. Dad didn't have to do anything. I earned a little bit of credit. And so the bank's willing to do a little bit more business with me because they have their standards, just kind of like heaven has its standards. 
And they keep good accounting in the bank, right, Mid? They want to know the numbers, and you look at the balance sheets, and like, yeah, you know, this is not reckoning right. <clears throat> well, God has the same thing in heaven. Everything. It's all, it's all uh, out there on the books. So uh, let's just say Mid's my banker. He's retired. But I got kind of Mid. And uh, one of our ruling elders, and I say, uh, okay, Mid, uh, I would like to buy a house, uh, and it's uh, $2 million. And you go, well, you know, you paid off your $15,000 car and you got maybe $15,000 equity, but that's better, but we can't give you that one. So what I do? I call my dad up. Say, dad, hey, you remember how when I was about 18 years old, you signed that a note? Would you be willing to do that? And he's like, well, how much is the house? I'm like, well, it's a, a million dollars. And they're like, well, I don't live in a house like that, but because I love your son, I'll do it. So we go down to the bank, and we see Mid. Mid, probably what you're going to do is look at my dad's statement. And you're going to go, Mr. Farnsworth, you've done quite well, but you cannot pay for your son. You cannot sign that note because you don't have the resources. Well, let's just suppose my dad has a brother who owns Amazon. And he's got billions of dollars. And he said, well, son, uh, you know what? Maybe, maybe Uncle Frank will sign that note. And so I have the audacity to call Uncle Frank. Say, hey, Uncle Frank, I got a million-dollar house I want to buy over here. And uh, I would, would you be willing to go on my note? He's like, sure. So I meet with Uncle Frank to go up and sign the note. So I go up to a guy like a loan officer like uh, Mid, and, and, and as soon as we sit down... The loan officer begins to laugh. And I say, why is he laughing? He says, because uh, your uncle owns the bank. You see, everything is ours. Christ has paid it all. And there is all the resources of heaven to bless your marriage, uh, to change you. To bring you joy in the midst of your sorrow and your sickness and your loneliness to give you himself, and so he says, draw near. Would you do that today? Says he ever intercedes. He's interceding for us today and for his people. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you that uh, you submitted to the very will of the Father who made promises that he would send his son. And Father, we thank you that you loved us so much you kept your oath and your promise to redeem sinners. So Lord, we pray that you would change our lives. Uh, for anybody that doesn't know Christ, that they would know that in their bankruptcy, there's no any good thing in them that they can come to Jesus Christ this morning and they can be saved to the uttermost. And Father, for those who uh, still sometimes struggle with how could you continue to be good to them. Father, calls them once again to say, because all their sins are done and that they should come in faith as, as little children weak and ask for your blessings for Christ's sake. And we ask these things in your name. Amen.